Have you ever taken the time to ask a friend of yours who is not a follower of Jesus Christ what they think of your witness? You know, oftentimes we want to be a good witness, but we fail to realize what impact we're actually making around those who don't believe what we believe. On today's podcast, we're going to be looking at that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So get out your Bibles and let's get into it. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you as always. So blessed to be with you guys as we continue our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I got to say, and I, I know I say this often, but it has just been such a blessing to just be in God's Word, not just in my time through the power of the Holy Spirit illuminating Scripture in my life and the opportunity I get to share that with my wife, my children, with friends that I hang out with, uh, but also with you. The opportunity that we have together to open scripture and dive into uh, the most beautiful thing that we have in this world, and that's the word of God. I mean, if you think about it, as we repeatedly see throughout scripture, King David himself referring to the word of God as sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. It's the value of it surpasses anything that you and I have in our possession. So if you have the word of God, and if you're in America and other parts of the world, but particularly here in the United States of America, where I'm recording this, we are so blessed, even with some restrictions that are coming and cancel culture and people are freaking out. We can listen to this podcast that's made available on platforms, wherever you get your podcast. We can go on the internet we can Google things about scripture. We have Bible Bibles galore that you can go pick up even at Walmart or Target still. I mean, and yet we have less than now 17% of Christians who read the Bible every day. And the vast majority of Christians skim through passages of scripture in this. This is a sad statistic, my friends. And if you're one of these people, um, and you just found this podcast, praise the Lord, honestly, that you say, you know what, enough is enough because the vast majority of Christians either get sound bites of the Bible. Most of them now, most self-identified Christians do not attend church weekly. And the sad reality is the biblical worldview percentage of Christians preaching today is less than 40% on average. Youth pastors, and I was a student pastor for many years, most of my career, was being a pastor to millennials and Gen Z, and I'm raising four Gen Zers now. But when you look at student pastors today, you know what? Their worldview is less than 30%. Think about that. And it starts with God's word. So a lot of Christians get quotes, verses from Instagram. Maybe the, the, the verse of the day that pops up on their iPhone or you version, a notice. And you know what? Good that you want to seek God's word in that way. But that, my friends, is as you taking one bite of a meal a day to survive. One sip of water a day to survive. And we know that we wouldn't be able to. And yet, spiritually, we are devoid of God's word. And as a result, there's a void in our spiritual emotional, psychological, and also relational lives. 
So the time that we can have together is so vitally important. And I preface it that way because what we're going to be looking at in Scripture today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, the title is, What Do Non-Christians Think of You? Now, you may be a really good person to work with. You may treat them out occasionally uh, to lunch, tell them that you're praying for them. Perhaps maybe you are bold enough in the marketplace to have your Bible uh, on your desk or you have a scripture reference, or you have a blessing with a picture of your family in a scripture like, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 or something. You may have a cross. You may have a tattoo that has a, that, that, that's a cross, whatever the case may be. And you know what? That's great. Okay. Um, for a lot of us who want to try to use that as a way to evangelize. And, and I pray you do. But what I'm saying is someone who knows God's word and uses those opportunities as the Holy Spirit leads, to be a witness to people around you. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, as always, let's go back, if you will. This is podcast 197. So we're edging closer to to 200 episodes here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. But if you go back a ways, and we, we looked at the previous podcast, the title for that one was, How Are You Pleasing the Lord? You know, what does your life look like? And we looked at three things. And this is going to carry us into this now passage in verses 9 through 12, and then we'll start covering the rapture in the next few episodes. But the first thing we saw in verses 1 and 2, that we have to be Christians who expound in love. That is so vitally important. Our walk. And that is a language that Paul uses frequently in his writings, in Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Colossians. So the Christian life, it's not just that you believe in Jesus as Savior, but your faith is a daily walk. It's a journey in becoming more like our Savior. And we're dependent not just on God, but on one another. And so what are non-believers seeing in your life when it comes to even that? Like the community that you have, the love that you have for God's word, the knowledge that you have about God's word. And so this expounding in love, I love God more than anything, more than the world. And I love others. And so every single day, we focus on pleasing him. Because in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, we saw that Paul in the end, you guys, he, he didn't care what other people thought. And a lot of times people say that. Well, I don't care what people think. The reality is we do. But what we're saying in context is I would rather please God who tests our hearts, we're told in scripture, then seek the approval of man. And the amazing thing about that was Paul knew that God had entrusted him as an apostle to spread his word. And to do that, he needed to be bold. He needed to be relentless. He couldn't compromise. He had to confront issues, admonish Christians in the church. He had to be persecuted. He had to run for his life. He had to rely on people that he didn't know much about, but trust the Lord that God put people in his life as a favor, as a blessing. And over time, we see this man who continues to say in 2 Corinthians 5, whether I'm home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord. Philippians 4, 
whether I have food, a place to stay, whatever, clothes to wear, I please the Lord. And that, that's contentment. So as we're building up this discussion, you're thinking, do people see that I have a life of contentment? Do people see that I love them? Do they see that I have community? Do they see that I love God's word? The second thing we saw in last podcast was progressing in holiness. And one of the key things is sexual morality. In the Greek word there was porneia, encompassing all forms of sexual purity. And we see, sadly, and I wrote a book, Challenging Conversations, and one of the chapters is what is wrong with premarital sex. Because today, a lot of self-identifying or professing Christians are sleeping around with people they're not married with. And they say they see nothing wrong with it. Now, in some cases, as I've counseled many of them, many younger millennial couples, they were born-again Christians, if you will. I believe that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was their, is their Lord and Savior. They have eternal life. However, in the process of sanctification, as we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, they're quenching the work of the Spirit. There is not just a dullness, but a level of ignorance that is over many couples who believe that sex outside of marriage is not a moral sin. They don't believe immorality is a sin. Or at least they say, I know it's wrong, but we love each other, so they justify it. And so the Bible's very clear about chastity and about restrictions, and it's not because God hates us. It's not because God is being so mean to us. There are standards. Standards are good. Just like staying within the lanes uh, on a road to keep you safe. You can't say, well, I'll go wherever I want to go. I'll drive however fast I want to drive, right? If I want to drink while I'm doing it, you know, it's my, it's my rights. Notice what will happen as a result and the danger that it will not only inflict upon you, but other people around you. So people become victims to your carelessness, to your pride, to your disobedience. And so we saw the importance of progressing in holiness and controlling your own desires in your bodies. And that goes for all of us, including myself. And then in verses seven and eight, obeying the Holy Spirit. Ah, this is the key. You know, we talk about sometimes holiness in context, maybe in your local church. And we oftentimes neglect the third person of the Trinity, the work of the Holy Spirit, in order for us to call out what is impure and to pursue holiness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So going back to couples who are in, you know, committing adultery or sexual morality on different levels, you are quenching, you are grieving, you are hindering the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when we come now to verses 9 through 12, as I read these passage, this passage, I want you to consider that. And then notice what Paul's saying now in this new phase of chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, let's read 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. If you don't, just listen. Whatever you're doing, working out, cooking, driving in the car. It says here, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Verse 10, Paul writes, For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, 
so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right, so again, we're just covering verse 9, 10, 11, and 12. Four verses. But the entire episode is going to be focusing in on this question, what do non-Christians think of you? So let's take each verse in its proper context and apply it to our lives. So now if you notice, Paul, once again, and this is always important here on the podcast, I always make mention, I will say the phrase, Paul transitions. Paul transitions into a new section. Because you want to be able to get his points, you know, so, so like if, you're, if your pastor has three points, right? And they break it apart. Um, you want to know what those transitions are, that we're transitioning into something else, Okay. Just like you're having a conversation, you transition into something else or you transition into a new job. Okay. So that's what Paul does here into this new section because he uses the phrase you're now concerning or now about something else. So he says, okay, we talked about what we talked about, right? In verses one through eight. And that was about, we need to please the Lord, love others, be moved by the Holy Spirit, progress holiness, etc. So he wants to he wants to address a few other items. Remember, he's got limited time. There's a lot of stuff he still wanted to teach the Thessalonians, but he had to leave because of the persecution and the threat of his life. And remember, he more than likely, I believe, he receives a report from Timothy who were, was able to go back and remain there and and keep things tidy, right? Keep things in check. And he has a report that he gives Paul regarding the state of the church not just in Thessalonica, but in the Macedonian region. And so when you go back to verses one through eight, remember Paul was discussing the, the need to love a people, to live holy, to, to live ethical lives. And so what he wants to do is he wants to shift now further into brotherly love. It's going to be for those in the church as well as those outside the church. Now that's going to look a little different. So the Greek word, that he uses right away now concerning brotherly love. So he says, now I want to talk specifically about love. That's the, the word is where we get Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, and we know that reference, you know, for the city in Pennsylvania is the city of brotherly love. It literally means to have love for fellow brethren in Christ. So that's what I was saying. It's a different form of love that you, you will not share because you don't have it in common with somebody who's not a Christian. So as Christians seek to control their bodies, as we read before in back in first Thessalonians four, verse three, it's about giving not over to sins and causing other people to sin, whether it be through sexual temptations, etc. But it's, it's not just a restraint, but it's self-control in brotherly love. When you love someone, there is a form or I should say that there is an aspect in demonstrating that brotherly love that when you extend kindness, there's a long suffering that comes just like God has long suffering towards us. Meaning it's a process. We're not always going to get things right. We're not always going to do the things that we know we ought to be doing. And so Christians should also show a heart of love to those around them. So when we have brotherly love, again, there's going to be times you're going to be patient towards someone because you love them. They're driving you crazy but nonetheless, you love them. Now, notice, I love this because he says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Why? Because you've been taught by God to do what? What have we been taught by God to do? To love one another. 
So he uses brotherly love, and then he uses it again in the same verse about loving one another. Now, Paul recognizes that the Thessalonians, they did, in fact, have extraordinary love for others. And that this was a testament to them obeying God's divine will for their lives. Now, this is important because when we jump into chapter five, one of the things that Paul does is he gets into specifics now. What does it look like to show brotherly love? Well, in verses 12 and following in chapter five, we'll see that he talks about respecting your leaders. He talks about caring and loving and encouraging and admonishing those who are idle, who are weak, who are feeble, who need, who need you know, to be cared for. And that is difficult because it's difficult sometimes to be submissive to a, a leadership that you may not respect entirely, that you don't, you know, you, you struggle in trusting yourself in their care because perhaps maybe you don't feel like they do care. So one of the things that Paul's saying here is we have to make sure knowing that we've been taught by God to do what we've learned to do. And the primary thing as followers of Jesus, like he showed us when Jesus walked this earth is how to love. Now the Zondervan illustrated Bible backgrounds, commentary of the new Testament, say that five times fast. It says this, the unique expression taught by God. So let me get this right. In Greek word, it's Theo did If I'm saying that correctly, it's kind of a, I'm looking at it right now. I'm thinking I cannot, pronounce that in Greek at all. I took Greek, um, wasn't the best at it, but uh, I can't pronounce that. So maybe you could do a better job. But it says this, this expression taught by God is further evidence that Paul's making use of the quote, new covenant, end quote, language of the prophets and applying it to the predominantly Gentile church of Thessalonica. The apostle here alludes to Isaiah's description of the messianic age as a time when God will live so intimately in and among his people through his spirit that they will no longer have to be taught by human intermediaries, but will be taught by God. Thus, Paul's language is familiar to that of Isaiah 53, verse 13. So if you look at it, by the way, I just finished the quote of Zondervan commentary. So if you look at what Paul's saying here, based on what we just saw, you know, um, laid out for us, not just in the text, but also what Zondervan Commentator was saying in regards to the new covenant language, and you go to Isaiah 54, verse 13, it says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children, end quote. Now, Jesus came and he taught his disciples. Jesus came, he taught Jews and Gentiles, Pharisees, all of them, but a lot of people rejected it. A lot of people questioned his authority. Some eventually came to believe, but a lot of people didn't. But here's the amazing thing. Now we're in the church age. And again, we got, as I said in the opening, vast amounts of information out there to learn about the, God's word. And yet look how biblically illiterate we are. So in this new covenant, in this passage in scripture in Isaiah 54, we have to hold fast to know that someday uh, we will see things fully come to its place of, com of, of um, completeness. For example, Jeremiah 31. And this is what I'm saying. When we're seeing bits and pieces of revival, uh, people coming to God's knowledge, 
of his truth, uh, understanding it, um, you know, being solely dependent on God, the power of his spirit. There's a promise in Jeremiah 31 that will not be fulfilled until the millennial kingdom. And that's when Christ physically rules and reigns and we will be with him in our resurrected bodies. And it says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their, their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, catch this, within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me for the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more that's Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 so there will come a time you guys where people will know the Lord and they will not be, you know, people, we won't be going around saying, know the Lord, because they will already know the Lord. Wouldn't that be, isn't that going to be awesome? Now, again, by the way, let me just say this for clarification's sake. In no way, shape, or form do I believe, because the Bible not, does not teach it, and it clearly is not teaching it here in Jeremiah 31, of universalism. Meaning that all people will be saved ultimately in the end. The Bible doesn't teach that, therefore I don't believe it, okay? That's not what it's saying. It's referring to people who will be in, because they believe in him, there will be a revival. Uh, Christ will come and establish, and many people will know the Lord, okay? So right now, like especially in America, through the decades, less and less people are Christian. I just saw a new study that, matter of fact, men, younger men who are in Gen Z generation, born 2000, okay, to 2015, more of that age demographic are knowing the Lord more than females. And when I look back in my ministry starting in the late 90s and into the early 2000s, a lot of the events, a lot of things that we did were predominantly what? Women. Okay? And that was a millennial generation, just like some previous generations. So Gen X and millennials, the vast majority of believers were women. They're involved in, in every aspect of the ministry, whereas... Gen Z now, we're seeing a, a rise in men, young men, knowing the Lord. So that there, that's there's some positivity there because we know when you look at as they get older and they get married and they have a family, when you have a man who's a spiritual leader of the home who is following after Christ, that will have major impact, great impact on his spouse and his children. Now, the Holy Spirit, let me just say this too, we know is our primary teacher in our life as a Christian. In the Christian life, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the primary teacher. That's what Jesus told us. Uh, Paul, I'm going to show you in 1 Corinthians 2 in a minute, and also look at what John has to say in 1 John chapter 2. Now, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now, let's pause. Go back to what Jesus said in John 14 through 16 in the upper room. I must go in order for the what? The paracletos, the helper, the guide, the teacher to come so you can recall all things that I've taught you. 
Paul continues, verse 13, and we impart the, this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Notice, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The Apostle John, speaking about the Holy Spirit, writes this in 1 John two twenty-seven. but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So, you guys, we have to be taught by the Lord. We have to allow the Holy Spirit, who is God, to teach us that anointing that we have through the Holy Spirit. No one can give you that anointing. No one can illuminate the scripture like the Holy Spirit can. Nobody can impart the words of God like the Spirit who comes from God. It says, but the Spirit who is from God. Remember verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So when Paul's making it clear that we are capable of loving one another. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 verse 5 says that. Galatians 5 verse 22 says the fruit of the Spirit is love. So when you and I are loving one another, it's because of the work of God in us who has taught us to do so. That's a powerful, you guys. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Therefore, we are to love. Notice verse 10, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout the Macedonia, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So that's the great thing about love. You can never say, I have gotten to a place now after 21 years of marriage that I love my wife and moving forward now, anniversary 22, anniversary 23, et cetera, et cetera, my love will never grow. It will stay the same because you get, you get to this certain plateau or something. No, love continues to grow. Patience, encouragement, endurance, sacrifice. And so that's what Paul's encouraging the Thessalonians to continue to practice kindness and to show more love for one another. So look at your relationships and say, how am I loving the people in my church? How am I demonstrating Christ's love to people outside the church? Now, based on the phrase, what you are doing, Paul was simply reinforcing what the Thessalonians were obviously doing in their churches, but he kept encouraging them. And that's a great sign of a leader. He says, I'm not saying you guys aren't doing this. Let's just continue to do it. And, and let's, let's grow in our unity because that doesn't happen on its own. It requires patience, endurance. It requires sacrifice. If you've been in any relationship in a long-term relationship, you know that it requires patience, endurance, and sacrifice. But striving for unity is worth it, right? It's worth it because God blesses that work. We're told in Psalm 133 verse one, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So the more that we love, the more that we're united, God will bless that. So that's why in verse 11, he says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Now we, it's so funny because we could just fixate on that phrase, mind your own affairs. He said, mind your own business. And we're like, amen and build a whole sermon series around that. And you know what? Sometimes we need to do that, but let's not miss the context here. Okay, let's love one another. Let's be patient. Let's endure sacrificially to strive for unity, even with people who are not minding their own business. And let's understand again, what Paul's actually saying here. So we don't take things out of context or abuse people in a dogmatic sense because we have misinterpreted something. Now, what Paul's doing here in verse 11 is he lists three things that the Thessalonians and clearly we as Christians today need to aspire to achieve in order for us to live a life that is 
you know, consistently loving each other and carrying the burdens of others. Now, if you go back and you notice the past tense that he uses, as we instructed you, now this is an indication that idleness was a problem. We're going to see that again in chapter five that was happening among the Thessalonians. And this is something that Paul had to discuss on multiple occasions in this, le- in this letter. So when he says, live quietly, that's the first thing that he addresses. This is, th- th- what this means is it's not to seek the attention um, that so many of us want. It's not to live in the limelight. Okay, live quietly. He's saying the International Dictionary of the New Testament says it like this. Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to aim at leading an unobtrusive life of tranquility. Moreover, they are to avoid the disorderliness of busybodies and to attend to their uh, business with quietness. Okay, so the tranquility and quietness are the same Greek term, more or less, from um, Heskea. And it means, and it says, and as you do so, that you earn your own living. This is something he'll talk about again in Second Thessalonians verse, or chapter 3, verse 12. Now, any eschatological excitement that produces corporate turmoil or individual laziness is here repudiated. So if somebody is doing something that is preventing the growth of the church, preventing your spiritual growth, that is an idle person. That is somebody who's not living quietly, somebody who's not minding their own business, somebody who's living a disorderly life, somebody who's a busybody, okay? So we are told that not to be like that. We're not to be obtrusive. We are to be uh, people who are respectful um, in the way that we live our lives and not to use our lives or take our, um, you know, sphere of influence platform, we say, you know, a lot these days and, and to butt into other people's lives, okay? Or to always point out all the things that we're doing for the Lord. That's clearly... Um, what Paul's not saying here. We are to be the opposite. We're to live humble lives, okay? We're to be respectful. We're to be content. We're not to boast. We're not to draw attention to how we're living for God and how we're giving, um, you know, to advance the kingdom, okay? Now, again, because other people can abuse that is where just because you may share with somebody in private or use it as I've done in context and as a teacher, as a pastor, um, an opportunity that God had given my wife, you know, and myself to, to, to bless someone. Um, sometimes that's appropriate, but we have to make sure that our intent in sharing that is to edify and to honor the Lord. The second is mind your own affairs. And so here's the thing. If you truly love someone, what, what will you do? You won't butt in to their lives, okay? As though you know better than they do. That, that's, that is not how we are to live our lives with, with our loved ones. When Paul later mentions busybodies, he says in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 11 that they cause problems in the church, okay? So when you are told here in scripture, you and, when you and I are to, you know, when we heed this command, we have to look at our lives and say, am I butting into other people's business? Am I telling people what to do, especially when they haven't asked my opinion? Okay. Am I causing problems rather than solving them? That's what Paul's talking about here. 
The third piece of advice that he presents is to work with your own hands. So you're not showing love. I'm not showing love to others. If all we do is mooch off of them. Now, Paul was teaching the Christians not to view manual labor as the Greeks did um, because they thought, you know, a lot of them in the Greek culture thought that's for lesser people than me. Um, And of course, when you sometimes when you watch some of these British shows, especially like Downton Abbey, and you got these rich people just inherit this land and they sit around and do nothing all day. And so back then, if you're a lawyer or doctor, like you're less than, okay, because you're a working person. And to work was a sign that you were not in the elite class. And so the Greeks at that time, they certainly believed that. And Paul's saying, no, it's an it's honorable to have a profession where you work. The theology of, of work Bible commentary, I wanted to look this up and see what they had to say, because again, the, the, the commentary is all about work. It says, it is striking that, that Paul's treatment of the issue in 1 Thessalonians is framed in terms of brotherly love. The idea is plainly that love and respect are essential in Christian relationships and that living off the charity of others unnecessarily is unloving and disrespectful to the charitable brothers or sisters concerned, end quote. So there are countless people that I think of in my life who do work with their own hands and are very faithful to what God has given them. And they're very content in it. And one of them is my father-in-law. He has consistently worked with his own hands. He doesn't complain. He minds his own affairs. He doesn't butt into people's business. And it's always been an admirable life that his daughter, my wife, myself, my children, so many others admire about him. Um, I think of my own senior pastor, Alex. He's one of my best friends. He consistently works hard at loving his wife, being there for his children who live in different parts of the world, different parts of the, the country, being there for his grandkids, uh, being there for his friends. I mean, the list goes on and on. Colleague friends of mine that I work with at Focus on the Family, at Summit Ministries, they just work hard. And that is something that, that I learned um, growing up in the Jimenez family to some extent. But it was something that just was, I felt was always innate in me. And I've always stressed that with my children is not to complain, but to work hard and, and not to just always seek an, a handout and that this is important. So when you're having the discussion about big government and handouts, you know, look to the scripture to really find guidance. Now throughout scripture, we see this, that work is ordained by God. Exodus 20 verse nine, Deuteronomy five verse 13. Matter of fact, let me read you Psalm 104 verse 23, man goes out to his work into his labor until the evening. Isn't that awesome? Now, work is also seen as a stewardship from God that we should do in honor of him. Colossians 3, chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24 says, whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward, end quote. Let me just say this in closing, and I'll tap, you know, we'll just tap into verse 12 for a minute. That's why I believe in a lot of ways, you guys, people are not rewarded because they're not working hard for it. You always hear in the sports world, people like, oh, they have talent. They've always had talent. They've always been athletic. But then how do they develop their skill in the game as it progresses 
from high school to college and if they get into the pros and the ones who do make it to the pros and those who are starters and those who year after year, like I think of Tom Brady, the goat just, I mean, you know, just keeps cranking it out. He just keeps working hard and he's rewarded as a result of that. Well, more importantly is our Christian life that we are, we work heartedly as for the Lord, knowing that it's from the Lord that we will receive our inheritance as a reward. So I pray that encourages you guys. And finally, to answer this question, what do non-Christians think about you? How are you living, you know, how's your witness around them, if you will? It says here, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So clearly what we just read, what we just covered, affects and will, my friends, be noticed by your non-Christian friends. So we as Christians... We need to be careful how we act around people who are not believers. Paul didn't want the Thessalonians to be unreliable workers that were dependent on non-believers. Paul was telling the Thessalonians to be careful of how you conduct yourself because people are watching and they are. Some of you guys say, well, yeah, but I, you know, I work remote now. I'm not around a lot of people. No, you guys, whether it's you're putting, posting things on social media the interactions you do have with your family at home, uh, to your neighbors, do you even talk to them? That's noticeable that you don't make an effort. So let's make sure that we are properly walking. That means that we are being very cautious and sensitive with great conviction how we are around non-believing people because they're inquisitive People who don't know, they don't know Christ, you guys, they are lost. And, and there are many people in your life that I want to encourage you as we close that need to see Jesus in you. And they have questions. So let's be sensitive to that. Let's continue to love people. Let's continue to mind our own affairs. Let's continue to live quietly. And let's continue to work with our own hands. So thank you guys for listening. Remember, if you love this podcast, you've been growing in it. I encourage you guys to leave us a review. Give us a five star. Tell people all about it. There are some um, platforms out there where you get your podcast where you can actually write out a review, kind of like if you purchased a book on Amazon. So I encourage you guys to tell your story because the more we do that, the, it builds that algorithm that this can become a Bible study podcast that can start hitting, you know, in higher rates and that's important also because there's a lot of garbage out there from false teachers that always seem like the Joel Olsteins that get top of the list. And if more people like you review our content, um, it starts you know becoming noticed out there. So I would appreciate that as well. And you guys can also go to standstrongministries.org. You can send me an email through there if you have any prayer requests or, or theological or biblical questions. I'd love to answer those as best as I can. And you can also give to continue to support this ministry because we could not be producing this content, uh, this content, uh, content without your prayers and without your financial support. So we greatly appreciate that. And you can give by going to standstrongministries.org, click on the button, donate. It's safe. And you guys can also become a monthly supporter for the Stand Strong in the Word podcast ministry. So thank you guys so much for your prayers and for listening. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. Oh,